Welcome action fans, and thanks for joining us for another edition of All 90s Action, All the Time, as we continue our look at the 90s career of Steven Seagal. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Murphy, and as always, joining me to break down another one of these Seagal flicks is podcaster, screenwriter, and a man who I definitely think can pull off a buckskin fringe jacket, Mr. Kyle Hintz. <laughs> it's great to be here. But not only that, uh, this week in his long-awaited debut, uh, we also have the new rookie to the pod, very much the Johnny Utah of the old, old 90s action <laughs> all the time, <laughs> Mr. Craig Drime. Thank you for having me. <laughs> now we should probably roll on to today's film, which is none other than 1994's On Deadly Ground. <laughs> and it seems only appropriate as we reach the season's midpoint, that we also reach peak Seagal. Now, I know what you're thinking. At this stage, you may be, you may be pondering, you may be thinking, but you've covered all, all his best ones, Scott. Well, you'd be right. But On Deadly Ground is definitely the most Seagal Seagal film ever made. And if you're <laughs> if you're at all interested in Seagal, that is every bit as terrible and wonderful as that sounds. Before my co-hosts and I get deep into this one, uh, we'll have a little bit of background knowledge as always. So On Deadly Ground was directed by none other than Steven Seagal himself. Usually I would give uh, some notable credits for the director, but if you don't know who Steven Seagal is by this stage, um, well, I can't help you. And it was written by Ed Horowitz, whose only other real notable credit is the another Steven Seagal film, Exit Wounds. And it was also co-written by Robin Rosson, who I, doesn't seem to have any other real notable credits like wrote a couple episodes of America's Most Wanted, um, did a couple other things, but nothing kind of famous. Critically, uh, the film currently holds a 4.6 out of 10 on IMDb, uh, 33% on Metacritic based on 18 reviews, 9% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 32 reviews, and a 2.2 on Letterboxd. So there we go. That's... Uh, <laughs> the high high scores of on deadly ground for you so as i understand it craig this was your first time seeing on deadly ground it was yeah and i as we were talking about before um this well not just this podcast episode but this season as much as i love kind of 90s action movies and i grew up with a lot of them steven seagal is one that the most I remember about him, I know I've probably seen before this uh, other Seagal movies, but I can't remember them. The most I remember about Seagal is the Mad TV sketch with Will Sasso, where he's very serious the whole time, and anybody that kind of says anything against him, he would snap their neck or things mm -hmm. like that. And so this was a treat to actually, I know there's a lot of things that I brought up that I guess are common in Seagal movies. But yeah, I'm interested to see what are the tropes of a Seagal movie. We'll get into that very soon of the, the recurring themes and motifs that happen in, in most Seagal movies. Um, as, as Kyle is also aware as being a fellow <laughs> uh, Seagal fan. Yes, indeed. 
so this was it was originally uh, before we get into the plot of the movie um, a little bit more background detail it was originally titled well it depends where you look actually I saw an imp- an old Empire article about the making of this movie, where apparently the script was originally titled uh, Rainbow Warrior, which I presume was a reference <laughs> to the 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 boat, the Rainbow Warrior, the, the Greenpeace boat that got sunk. Uh, but there, also in the Seagal-ology book, the, it says the original title was uh, Spirit Warrior, so I'm not very sure... Um, which was the case. Maybe uh, both were working titles. I'm, I'm not sure. And also uh, Horowitz and Rusin's script was quite different. Uh, for example, the main title character, not title character, the main character uh, that Steven Seagal plays was originally called uh, Ryan Lynch. And um, yeah, it was quite a different character. It was a kind of burnout, uh, was, a, was an alcoholic, a chain smoker, and it was apparently more of, of a buddy movie where he was paired up with a Yale-trained um, Alaskan native lawyer who turned eco-terrorist. And um, so it sounded like it had a bit more of a more of a serious tone. And according to one of the co-writers, Ed Horowitz, uh, it was offered to director and actor Clint Eastwood, um, but he passed on the project. Although that is... Uh, debated one of the producers um, doesn't remember that so like uh, uh, I got this again from the kind of making of um, article that was um, in Empire uh, some time back that I saw online Um, so there we go and the character name change came about because uh, Steven Seagal thought that the character name Forrest Taft that's what he's called in this movie Forrest Taft was uh, Greener uh, so there you go. <laughs> wow. Uh, yes. So shall we get into the plot of the movie, guys? Yeah. Let's do it. Well, where to start? We'll start at the very beginning. So we All open up go. on a we open up on the shot of an eagle because this has got uh, native Native American people in it. So of course it'll open with a shot of an eagle, and we get the classic eagle call sound effect that you often find in any movie that has Native Americans in it. Um, uh, what The eagle call sound effect that was last heard in uh, Hard to Kill uh, during his uh, montage training sequence if, if you remember Kyle. Oh, yes. Way back to that first oh. episode. Um, he's, <laughs> he's just at the top of the empty. He's done his bizarre run up to the top of the hill. He just uh, sits and rests and you just hear that and it's like oh yes mystical inspiration is happening so yeah uh, we actually then get like a totally beautiful landscape shot i i, I think throughout the movie uh, the director of uh, photography uh, rick Waite, who had previously worked on seagal pictures out for justice and mark for death uh, he does a great job and uh, according to some sources on the production did more of the directing than Seagal but again this is a debated point and again kind of tying in with the whole kind of like oh we're definitely uh, doing a movie that involves Native Americans like we get uh, the score by Basil Paul Deris who um, listeners may be aware of his other scores on things like Robocop and Conan and stuff like that it's a typical uh, epic 
pomp-filled Polidarius uh, score, but with extra mysticism sprinkled throughout <laughs> it. So, <laughs> so, so you know what type of movie you're in. Uh, yeah. So, so there we go. So a, a pretty epic opening there, uh, but not as epic as the hero shot we get of Segal. Uh, Segal's first moment of self-love when he steps out of a helicopter wearing snakeskin shoes and we just pan upwards to the magnificence of Segal past his fringe jacket up to him, uh, smoking a, a kind of uh, cigarello thing. Like, he, he smokes yeah. like, yeah, apparently in the original script, chain smoker, he smokes like twice in this. Um, and he apparently smokes like little cigars. Yeah, um, and he also said, opened with what's cooking, because there's a big fire. <laughs> <laughs> but it did make me wonder, for somebody that's about to go into, you know, all this oil, Instead mm -hmm. of the the explosive device to kind of you know the flames and everything, why is he dressed so nice if he's gonna be doing that type of job? Seagal uh, likes very strange fashion choices and to uh, have a variety of fashion. Okay, it's a it's a it's one of his tropes. Okay, it is one of his tropes. Here, I'll and... start writing them all down. Yeah, <laughs> so. <Take notes. laughs> yeah. His kind of fashion choices, particularly fashion choices that involve a little bit of uh, cultural appropriation, is is generally that's that's one of the motifs like ticked straight away. Okay, the, it's kind of of the many highlights of this movie. Seagal's many jacket changes are are hilarious, but. There, I mean, it's going to take a long time to get through this film because, like, there's so much <laughs> to unpack in just mm. this opening scene, from the loving hero shot to the kind of weird ADR where apparently everybody knows who Forrest Taft is and is really ex just knows that he's going to save the day because you, you even hear like off screen like a guy going like, "Hey, Forrest is here," you know, just like, "Yeah." yeah. Now, this movie. <laughs> has so many scenes and this is kind of what i would get into it more but we were talking about before has so many scenes that i thought like okay obviously it's a comedy or you know you look at a more modern film like i think of for example john wick where you have characters talking about john wick about how amazing and incredible he is <laughs> but, but you know it, it's mm. done in a way where yeah the movie is it's done seriously by the uh -huh. characters, but because of the uh -huh. way the movie's done, it's it's comedic, and or you know it has that pulpy kind of comedy to it. So okay. I went in thinking, okay, obviously there has no. to be some no, because no. it's just this, throughout this, they are no. just talk about how amazing he is. No, again, uh, you should add this to your list, okay. right? So in any Seagal <laughs> movie, there will be at least one scene where they discover like something about him, something about his, but you know, he often has like a mysterious CIA past. Sometimes it's special yeah. forces like the, that kind of changes a little bit, but he has some special training, whether it be, he was a Navy SEAL or he was a black ops operative or, or whatever it is. Usually there's some dossier on him. Usually there's at least one scene where they extensively explain just how, he is the toughest, manliest man to ever man in history. So, yes. But again, like so much with this film, it takes that recurring 
uh, Seagal motif and just dials it up to 11, um, which we will discuss much, much more throughout the episode. Okay, I'm excited. <laughs> I have lots of notes on it. <laughs> so, yeah, we get his first interaction with his uh, apparently good, good friend, a guy called Hugh Palmer, who he's basically saying that the oil company has sold them dodgy parts for the rig. We, well, I, maybe we didn't explain that. So the Seagal lands in a helicopter on top of this oil rig to put out this fire that is happening on this oil rig. Um, apparently joined by head of the corporation. Like, does the head of an oil corporation fly out to every disaster? <laughs> you know, like, anyway, um, <laughs> joined by the head of the corporation, the, who is Michael Jennings, who is played by none other than Michael Caine. Uh, With so... <laughs> American accent that fades in and out from his normal Michael Caine accent. Yeah, no, that, that's true. I mean, he can do an American accent. Yeah. He just doesn't bother here. It's yeah. like, uh, there's actually, uh, in the background research as well, there's a great quote from uh, Michael Caine where he talks about this movie. Basically, he... he took this movie on because this was a time in his career where scripts had kind of dried up a little bit and he felt that he'd rather be working than than not working uh, <laughs> so he he, he uh, went with this um, but there's a great quote from him that says I had broken one of the cardinal rules of bad movies if you're going to do a bad movie at least do it in a great location here I was doing a movie where the work was freezing my brain and the weather was freezing my arse. Michael Caine was very much aware of what movie he was in, even if Steven Seagal was was not. Anyway, we should probably but, talk more about this uh, opening scene because it only gets yes. better from here. Hugh Palmer uh, basically accuses him of, of being a, a big fat traitor, uh, Mr. Forrest Taft, who's now working for this oil corporation um, as a firefighter. Um, and uh, Seagal then has, like he basically calls him a kind of sellout whore and Seagal has the great line um, for $350,000 I'd fuck anything once <laughs> Le leads to so many oh, questions <laughs> but that's that's not like that's not even the best bit guys we're in this opening yeah. scene we've already had a bizarre one liner everybody knowing how amazing Seagal is right off the bat and you know like that hero shot but no no it gets only better from there because apparently you can put out a fire with a giant explosion again you <laughs> you actually shooting. can do that yeah can you the, yeah you yeah that's a thing oil you fire to, yeah, uh -huh. you have to do yeah. the explosion yeah. Okay. Okay. So they got that accurate. Oh, that's 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 <laughs> well done. Well, well done them. So like, um, I didn't know that. So um, one nil Seagal there. Uh, <laughs> but like, uh, I think it's not that. That's the the really funny thing. The really funny thing is the way he uh, sets off the explosion, and then yes. everybody ducks down on the rig, apart from. Seagal, who has his back to the explosion and has the coolest non-reaction to an explosion <laughs> that has possibly ever been filmed. But before that, I have to say that he's, so he's in the machinery while it's being sprayed with oil and there's fire everywhere. And he has that little 
the mm-hmm. heat shield basically mm-hmm. which is and, a piece of like sheet metal yeah <laughs> yeah he's telling people but here's the thing they're at in a, a ways away there's all this destruction all this noise he's telling people like to move the crane or to get back or things like that yeah but he's saying it at stuff, a, yeah, yeah at a completely normal level of i was sitting there like how is anybody hearing what he's saying right now <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter he's in charge <laughs> yeah this is this is going to come up again because he does it in some other scenes but there's like he just kind of orders people around whether they should be taking his orders or not (laughs) (laughs) frequently that that is absolutely true it is the Seagal way again something that you will learn on the (laughs) the kind of you've you've joined I mean like you've joined us at a funny point in the season Craig I'm not gonna lie uh it's really kind of Kyle and I have had all the goodness and um, you're you're joining (laughs) us for the downfall yeah, there were other filmmakers making the previous films. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, you've got some excitement to come, but let's let's get yeah. back to this movie. We're not even going to the opening scene, but yeah, let's. But yeah, so um, they kind of have like a kind of weird because at this stage, um, Forrest Taft is still working for the the corporation, so apparently is okay with what uh, Michael Jennings, the Michael Caine character, is, is doing. So there's no real reason for them to have a face-off at this point in the film before he's discovered that his pal Hugh Palmer is entirely correct and it's all down to dodgy equipment and not human error. But yeah, we get a weird face-off. And we get Seagal drinking out of a flask, which is seems like it's a remnant of a prior draft of the script it is a remnant of the prior draft of the script um yes apparently seagal didn't want to kind of taint his image or or whatever for his for his fans so didn't want to portray an an alcoholic but as a compromise like that's the only (laughs) hint towards it like he would uh, sip out this flask that was it well he has a couple well We'll was at the bar second. yeah the bar yeah, has, the, think, like three is, shots or something or yeah 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 so again that's as far as he allowed that element of the story from the original draft to go go through um because obviously yeah Segal made a, a bunch of changes um some of his biggest ones um come up uh, much later in the film <laughs> We also should note that uh, the the faulty part that's going to come up a million times is faulty preventers, preventers which we yes. hear about for like 30 minutes before we actually kind of understand what that even is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nothing's very well explained. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's one of those, it felt like one of those elements of like, yeah, that makes sense that's a term that they use but nobody actually did the research in the scripting yeah it feels just like a MacGuffin. like we'll just yeah. we'll throw this in there it doesn't matter it's a oil flux maker <laughs> you know, it's, just like, it's, like... it's a flux capacitor yeah we don't know what it is we're, we're just uh, seeing jargony yeah. terms that we <laughs> think sound technical so there you go anyway um after that we we cut to them in back in the helicopter 
where Michael Caine basically explains, like, why would he do this? Why would he damage his, his own rig? And we should also mention that, as much as I love Michael Caine, his die job that he has in this film yeah. is horrendous. He has this yeah. alarmingly black hair. It's just, like, it's distracting in every scene he's in. It's really distracting. You just look at the die job, and you're like, Why? Why was this a character choice? I think it adds to the character because yeah. you look at because it makes me think of somebody yeah. like Trump, where I'm like, yeah, you know what I mean, where it's so mm -hmm. obvious, but well, that person doesn't know it. Well, they even have his makeup, like an, that he's wearing obvious makeup and he has that orange tint almost. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so he kind of explains like why would he do this to his oil, an oil own oil rig that he would have the kind of native tribes people after him the tribe council he would have you know environmentalists after you know he makes an entirely fair point uh, he, he's completely lying but it seems like an entirely fair point and he is guarded by his uh, two henchmen uh, magruder who is played by john c mcginley who is very much a kind of john c mcginley type and otto who is a silent deadly block of a man which is very much a kind of uh, Sven Olthorsen type and he is played by Sven Olthorsen so well done on that well done on the casting but uh, yeah so after that we uh, we cut to a bar now uh, Craig you need to yes. add this to your list okay because generally it is a known fact in a Seagal movie when Seagal enters a bar a fight will ensue okay mm, yes always well, nearly always. Remember, we covered Mark for Death, and like he didn't. A fight did ensue, but he didn't really take much part in it. He just like yeah, until the end. Until the end, yeah, until the he end. Couldn't just, resist. Nah, <laughs> you know, he had to get the last punch in. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, well, Craig, do you want to take this one? Do you want to break down yeah, this uh, sure. barroom so, fight that happens? He's already at the at a table drinking, and there is a group of oil rig men who are. They're messing with kind of, you know, a uh, Native American man who's obviously drunk and he's, you know, he just wants some money to have a drink or stuff like that. And they keep like taunting him. And then this happens actually two times, right? Where they, he walks back up to them, they offer him beer and then they'll kick him on the ground and kick him around and stuff. And so Seagal gets up, he's walking towards them. You look. You think it's going to be a confrontation, and they just walk to the bar. Where then he has a conversation with um, Hugh Palmer, his good yes, friend Hugh right. Palmer. Yes, and they're they kind of talk about that, and Palmer says to look at the files, things like that, while he's drinking more. But I should also point out yeah. as well in that in that little bit of conversation, the talk about how three people died on the rig including yeah. forest taft's good friend lorenzo who is never <laughs> mentioned again <laughs> no and he doesn't seem to even care that much it's just there's not even like a oh poor lorenzo oh hurt. lorenzo like, god yeah. damn it and again that's kind of a trope of no of seagal being unable to show any emotion okay. <laughs> in order true. to service the story <laughs> So these oil rig, the four oil rig men are upset for some reason that he walked past them and they keep taunting him with words like pansy or things like that. 
cupcake is the term yeah. that they use yes. the term that they use yeah. the most and so Seagal can't take it anymore and the bartender says don't break anything this time Forrest which obviously he goes out of his way to break everything <laughs> let's back up just a second yeah, right? yeah. he says she says Forrest don't you break anything which makes it sound like this is like a weekly occurrence yeah yes but yeah apparently it's like he doesn't even listen to her he a lot of the stuff he does during this fight he would have to go out of his way to specifically break the stuff <laughs> which you know it's kind of rude on his part but then a fight ensues with all of these oil rig men and some of them are actually i wrote this down in my notes it's not like they're even a couple of them yes they're tough they're built guys like, but many the of first them guy he kicks are like is a, yeah. a big dude but then he breaks like this guy's leg and punches him and it's this guy that looks like he has to be in his 60s <laughs> what, how, how can you be that, tough <laughs> that, about that dude and that's the guy who says don't mess with oil workers yeah <laughs> i wrote i wrote this yes. one down um because you're, you're right craig there is like a few of them who look like they're maybe in their late 50s or maybe even early 60s and like kind of close to retirement like the guy he like puts through the jukebox he looks quite old and the guy yeah who says hey buddy don't be fucking with oil workers like he looks like he's deep into his 50s um so yeah, yeah it does seem quite unfair yeah so then after all is said and done he gets to the final guy who is played by uh mike star yeah, there mike we go star. mike star yeah. who seems to be playing america yeah in 2020 <laughs> <laughs> i used to play in trouble this, this i do want to point out one thing yeah. though as well right so this this guy is basically trump's america and he's hanging out with his pals being all very racist and xenophobic and homophobic and, and all that and taunting the native american guy right but the group of oil workers that he is obviously the leader of oddly multi-ethnic there's a couple of black guys there's an asian guy who knows martial arts because of course he does you know i just i just, I just thought that was an interesting thing oh definitely i think so. and I think, and it's weird that the fight even comes, the final fight between them, if you can even call it that, comes down to something that isn't that macho, even. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, Seagal is saying, oh, you, you're the manliest man. That's what you, everybody, or, you know, and everybody's sitting around watching. And they, because they all know apparently what is about to come. And they do that hand slap thing where, yeah. Now, yeah, where you have your hands under somebody else's hands and you try and slap them. And if they, but if he slaps the guy's hands, they gets to punch him. And so they do that and he slaps his hands about three times. You know, and each time he punches them afterwards. And apparently he has, um, Star has blood on his face at one point early on in the punch. And you th or early on, I think in the second, after the second punch, like, well, that doesn't make any sense because he was hit in the gut. Why does he have blood on the side of his face? But then's not then isn't there in another shot. 
but I, I won't even get into all of that specific. Uh, <laughs> that's just me being this picky. this this, uh, this episode is going to take too long if we unpick all of that. Yes. But yes, yeah. it, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, I suppose he might have landed on some of the broken yeah. glass that was around. <laughs> we'll go with that. Okay, that's what we'll go with. But then it gets to one of my favorite lines in the movie. Yeah, probably the best line is that after the guy gets up for the third time, broken nose, everything, Seagal says, what does it take to change the essence of a man? To which Star replies after, you know, contemplating it for a bit and almost on the verge of tears, that it's time to change. What is it? Time to change. No, he just says, like, I need time. I need yeah. time. Yeah, there we go. And then they kind of have this nice little moment. And this stands out to me so much because it feels like the end of a movie. Yeah. Which this is not. <laughs> so weird. It it does feel like the end of a movie. I would agree with that. Or it's a weird thing though as well where you kind of think like, oh, maybe this will be like called back to. Like yeah, maybe yeah, <laughs> the, this guy will have been nope. converted like he has seen the error of his ways and then maybe he helps out Seagal later on in the movie that doesn't happen it's just a, a scene just to show the a, amazing inspirational stroke badass figure that uh, yeah. Steven Seagal is yeah. None we of should also add <laughs> no they don't not even the drunk guy who seems to be his friend but yeah. I have to add at the very end too so the native man who is an alcoholic it seems or whatever who has been kind of rescued by Seagal Seagal says he's going to give him a ride home or vice versa I think the guy says he's going to give Seagal a ride home and they're going to go on like a spiritual journey or something and Seagal has his classic just like smug like smile and nod like yeah right like he's still um, demeaning to the people he's saving, yeah. <laughs> basically. You're like what that an is asshole. true. Yeah, because he likes to try and he's trying to portray himself in this scene as like the champion of the underdog, uh, the the little guy, you know, like that kind of thing. But at the same time, he does it in this kind of incredibly patronizing way. In fact, at one point during the the hand slap game he uh kind of tells the guy off for for picking on this little native man which is yep yeah i don't know i mean he's somebody that i probably wouldn't if this is a regular occurrence if and i was the bar owner i'd be like maybe you shouldn't come in here anymore and if all your and all your patrons are oil workers yeah. <laughs> looking for a fight well, apparently only half the patrons are oil workers looking for the fight. Uh, it seems like half the patrons... Because like, the oil workers seem completely unaware of the mightiness of Forrest Taft. But Even then the half enough. the bar are like locals. And again, using kind of ADR, there's like all these kind of off-screen comments of like, oh, you know, like you know don't, don't do it forest you know like oh you know like because you know obviously he can fuck these guys up so you know so you hear all these kind of comments that's that's true which yeah. makes it even weirder how like racist the oil workers are <laughs> when the, the other half of the bar is native american people yeah. well there's all that those yeah the adr too of like oh man don't be so mean to that guy <laughs> 
yeah <laughs> like, like no like, apparently everybody's kind of too scared to do anything about it but yeah you do get all these kind of all these off-screen comments of like hey leave those leave that guy alone but it, which that kind of has an issue so if all the locals know him and from the scene before everybody on that oil rig happened to know who he was so were these just the few members of the oil rig that uh. Um, yeah like this is kind of a yeah a kind of a trope where it's like the bullies never know what they're getting into (laughs) basically that's true that's true everybody who's good in the film has an entire awareness of like Seagal's character's entire back history and how badass he is but yeah the kind of bullies and villains yeah no idea okay I have notes on that and uh with my cane later on We'll get to that. <laughs> okay. Uh, one last thing about this scene. I did really like the guy who he like uh, he, he hits in the nuts and he just goes, oh, my oh, nuts. Yes. <laughs> so, so good. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> but that's, 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 bar. and to be fair, it's a, a fun bar fight. It's yeah. uh, it's not quite the barroom brawl in Out for Justice, but it is it's a, a top action sequence and um, highly enjoyable. I agree. I, I mean, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. What you say? I mean, it, it's it's a bit unfair. It's you know just because all those guys, most of those guys do do seem like they really hold no challenge. It's just that one guy, just that one big yeah. guy steps in. Like, obviously, Seagal's very much aware of uh, prison yard rules where you, you take out the big guy first because he just boots him. And that apparently <laughs> uh, completely incapacitates that guy. Yeah. All he needs is to be kicked in the chest. And that's it. But, Kyle, what's uh, Jennings up to? He is working on his... Uh pro environmental commercial it seems with some caribou on a set with uh as we talked about before a cameo by irving kirshner as a commercial director and this is uh, we should point out just in case any of our listeners don't know irving kirshner director of empire strikes back yes a much inferior film to the one we're (laughs) discussing (laughs) this Um, should have had its own universe yes (laughs) But Michael Caine is a total asshole to this director and then kind of switches character to sound like he, to read this, these cue cards and sound like he cares about the environment. And I was telling Craig about this because he has something he's going to say, but also I felt like uh, the way Michael Caine treats the director is probably the way Seagal behaves on his (laughs) film sets. Totally dismissive. Yeah, yeah. So Craig, what was... uh... What were you going to say about this oh, scene? So, obviously, we're watching a Seagal movie, but I couldn't help, I guess, the movie in my head that would be like, oh, here would be a movie that I would definitely watch, which was Michael Caine in this is kind of, like, his character is kind of funny. In a, like, if they made some sort of, like, what if it was just about him and, like, some satirical black comedy about an oil tycoon trying to like pull one over on everybody to you know get more money and all the problems that he's facing and so that was the movie that i came up with as i'm watching this whole scene lay out and then with his whole team and everything and it had nothing to do with seagal so maybe someday (laughs) 
I'll come up with that version. Yes, okay. <laughs> because there are, again, as I mentioned before, and I'll probably keep mentioning throughout, there's so many elements, you know, as a, I guess, a novice to Seagal that, like, this lends itself to being like a comedy in a, in a pure, like, the way the lines are delivered, the way some of the plots, yeah. everything about it, like, mm. know, it just feels satirical. Not in a so bad it's good way, but in the actual satire itself. Yeah, but the, I mean, that's but not what not. this is, Craig. Yeah. Not <laughs> what it is. You know, this doesn't like no, I've, I've this been... doesn't exist. And like, there is. I mean, it's one of my favorite subgenres of action movies, of action movies that are one hundred percent action movies, but also parody action movies. In this genre, you can find such films as RoboCop and face off and con air and things things of that nature you know uh but no that doesn't you know like also like you know we talked about you mentioned john wick and um there was a clive owen action film in the mid 2000s called uh, shoot him up you know these are the films that exist in this kind of subcategory of action movies but no it's it's not that now this is a serious message film yeah it's got a very serious message, which we'll get to later. And it, um, it actually, won't I stop should... me from. <laughs> it won't stop me from bringing it up again and again. No, yeah, I mean, I fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a fair, it's a fair point. And like, yeah, uh, Michael Caine does get a, a very funny line here, um, as Kyle mentioned. Um, I, I've, I've I've looked it up. It's in the cigar. It mentioned mm. in the cigarology book, so I, I've looked it up. Um, the line he gives is, "Listen." If you have any great ideas, just keep them to your fucking self, okay? And and leave this shit to me. Is is is, is yeah. the end of that line. So that's that's uh, that's spectacular stuff. So Forrest Taft, he has many many skills, and it appears hacking is also one of them because that's yes. what we get next. <laughs> yes. Mid nineties hacking. We actually get. Uh... If you read the screen, you find out they're called like blowout preventers. So they're essentially supposedly there to stop a fire from breaking out, I guess. These MacGuffins. And then we yeah. we see, you know, that they have not passed they are their tests. They're not working. Yeah, pretty much everything had failed except only a couple of them, I think. Yeah. And they couldn't basically the rig that they are building, this new rig that they're building called Aegis One, the corporation is called Aegis, they have a deadline to build the rig and get the rig online, which is 13 days. And if they don't get it online, then the kind of oil rights revert back to the native tribal council that had them in the first place. And the reordering of these preventers is going to take like 90 days or something and that's why they have these old faulty preventers that they're installing in this new rig yeah important plot points that you should all know lister (laughs) and it'll come up again and again because i think that's the only plot point that they have (laughs) that's it it'll just be on repeat yeah Uh, yeah so i mean so it's kind of all fun in games, apart from kind of the bit that's like coming up, which I, it's kind of, 
doesn't fit the tone of the movie. Like you've mentioned, Craig, you know, it's a very silly movie. It's an over-the-top action movie that kind of reads like a kind of parody of an action movie. But, I mean, it's not. It's very serious business. This is Steven Seagal. Uh, but, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the next scene is kind of, like, quite ugly. Like, when Magruder and uh, Otto go and mm. visit Seagal's good friend, uh, Hugh Palmer, at his cabin. Um, does it someday want to take yes. the lead on this one, Kyle? Yes, they go to... <laughs> They know that Hugh Palmer knows about these faulty preventers in this issue and that he has uh, some some physical copy of it, some booklet and a floppy disk, which is great to see has a key plot point. Um, and he won't he will he refuses to reveal that. And so they torture him to try and find out where this is. And they take some sort of weird a pipe cutter. Well, before that, oh. they have like a bone. Yeah, they have like a like thing. a big bone thing. Yeah, yeah which they which Sven Ol, uh, Thorson uses to um, chop off Hugh's fingers one by one for a little bit, which I don't know. It didn't look like it was sharp enough to sever a finger, but that's just me. I'm not a henchman. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you it obviously weren't paying attention in henchmen skill. <laughs> Even blunt <laughs> objects, if hit with the right velocity, can uh, cut off fingers. It it almost looks like a polished tusk or something. Okay. Like it was yeah. A, like a yeah. trophy or some I don't know some sort of. Yeah, it does. It does look like a kind of like an elephant tusk or something. Some sort of like yeah. yeah big... And then they do get a pipe cutter to i guess they 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 cut his leg i think it's kind of off screen yeah. but yeah all this is quite brutal and john c mcginley is losing his patience and he doesn't want to do this no his <laughs> delivery of the line is perfect of the there's no i and team oh my god it, yeah it's spelt t-e-a-m <laughs> <laughs> and to go off what Craig has been commenting in terms of tone, I feel like throughout the movie, and especially this scene, you can look at these actors, and I, I feel a lot of empathy because I see John C. McGinley is on his own. Yeah. <laughs> like there's <laughs> nobody helping him here, no direction. Yeah, that 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 is very true. The, also, another brilliant quote from the Empire Making of uh, like feature that I read. Uh, was from John C. McGinley, where they put to him that he is one of the few people who can say that they were directed by Seagal. And the, he retorted, I can barely claim that either. <laughs> awesome. Just tying in with what you what you were saying there. Um, but yeah, like I just found this, this sequence is, I, I there's, tonally like nastier than the rest of the film and really i feel like it sticks out like a sore thumb yeah. i feel like it's kind of like um talking about other kind of bad movies um the scene in the expendables where there's like a like a waterboarding sequence like the rest like most oh, yeah. the rest of the movie is uh, kind of silly but then it's just like this one waterboarding torture sequence and you're like what this is entirely from a different film. It it feels like it belongs in a different Seagal film too, because like most of the other ones we've covered up to now are pretty much revenge based, mm -hmm. and this kind of yeah. becomes that based on this, but it has a whole other plot to begin with. Whereas the other movies are just someone killed my friend, and I'm out for justice. Yeah, it does feel like it would fit. Not because Hard to Kill is quite 
in that kind of sillier mode as well but like yeah certainly a mark for death or an out for justice that is tries to be kind of grittier in the first place it probably fit better there but um talking about Segal's kind of directorial choices um as you said the leg being cut off with the pipe fitter is done off screen as we pan outside yes. of Hugh's window onto the beautiful Alaskan <laughs> landscape. I mean, those landscapes well, and are blood, great, I'll just say. <laughs> well, as this pan happens, blood from Hugh sprays onto the window. Yeah. Yes. Just, just so you know what's happening. Flawless imagery. Oh, well, this goes way back, but at the bar, um, Seagal is talking about he's going to stop over yeah. at his house to grab some gear because he wants to go out into the mountain, like his gun or stuff, things like that. So that's foreshadowing for... Yes, that, that, is, yeah. that becomes his... important later on in the movie. That, yeah. That's a very throwaway line that um, he has a bag up there at Hugh's cabin, um, which you just think like, well... You don't think anything of, uh, but it, it comes weird, weird callbacks. Like weird callbacks was uh, something that that happened in Under Siege, Kyle. If you remember, yes. with the with the car phone what? and the musician yeah. dating. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we'll add this to the weird callbacks. Not necessarily a Segal trope, but like just something that's happened in two films back to back. It seems, and it seems like it's important because it's there's evidence and stuff like that. But then. You rarely, it rarely is. <laughs> like it's not like he uses the evidence to then get everybody against. I don't know. We'll get into that. Later yeah, he never on. really guess, uses it at all. I guess maybe yeah. at the very end he yeah, must yeah, use it yeah, off screen. That's true. That's yeah. true. That's true. Um, but we we can't we violence. can't go over we can't go over over every little detail, Craig, because this is um, yeah. It's going to take far too long. There's there's so much more insanity to come. Like we've not even reached the peak insanity of this film uh, at all. Uh, we're 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 still slowly getting there uh, because it just gets kind of more bizarre as the film goes on. But anyway, yeah. um, we move we move on. We move on. We we get um, uh, a press conference from Jennings, where he tries to blame everything on on human error and um oh, the oil rig you know it was nothing really to do with us definitely wasn't definitely, definitely wasn't to do with faulty parts and then he get, he gets harassed uh, by the press he gets harassed by the tribal council and then we get introduced to another character in the film who you would be led to believe is one of the main characters but is not really treated like a main character it is the character of Masu who is played by Joan mm. Chen, who listeners may be most aware of for her role as Jocelyn Packard in Twin Peaks, or maybe that's just me. Yep. I don't know. No, that's oh, she's great. Yeah, I mean, is there general agreement? Like, I feel like, yes. yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't, okay. yeah. Yes. But there's a great, another great cane line where she throws oil on him. Yes. And he's being, you know, taken away really quick. He's like, "What is it?" And the late his, like, pr his, what is it? Press secretary or whatever. She's she's yeah. a lawyer. Uh, yeah, the, she the says, it's just oil. And he says, "Oh, thank God." 
or something. <laughs> yeah, and then he gets angry about it again and says, yeah. "Oh, this was just a brand new, you know." So yeah, it's kind of a weird moment. Yeah, but then do we? So after this point, well, I think the next scene is kind of where everything starts going into a blur for me. For me, <laughs> I have it in my. Oh, notes. okay. So we we get some more uh, Segal. What we'll, we'll refer to him from now on as 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 his name Forrest Taft Forrest. because it's it's such a. It, again, oh, you should add this to your list, Craig. Okay. Um, so Segal often has like a funny name. Like okay. so, in the first film we covered. Uh, hard to kill he's called mason storm uh in the last film we covered uh, under siege he's called casey ryback Um, obviously in this film he's he's called forrest taft is in the other two films that we covered he has slightly more normal names uh mark for death he's called john hatcher and in out for justice which is funny not because it's an unusual name but just because it's so on the nose is he's an italian-american detective called gino Fellino. (laughs) it's the best name ever (laughs) so yeah funny you can add funny stroke unusual names to to your list okay but it's all serious let's yes it's all serious oh Oh, 100 yes okay so is this the point where because they know he's been hacking that the the main double cross or yeah so this is, is the point where okay. the main double cross happens so like before this like by this stage forrest knows everything he, he knows the he well he doesn't quite know everything but he definitely knows that things are fishy that he doesn't want anything to do with this corporation anymore and he says to jennings how much money is enough and uh, yes. you know in another great line <laughs> to add to the, or, you know, what does it take to change the essence of a man? Yeah. Uh, some more great Seagal philosophizing. And then Jennings immediately after asks him, can you just do one more job for me? Right. And then, and then we, correct. then you can go on your way or then we can have the talk about, you know, all these issues or something like that. Yeah, that that's okay. right. That's right. And, like for all his magnificent skills, um, Forrest is a real idiot in this scene. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because I mean, this again. Th- I mean, this happened in Mark for Death as well, where he, the Seagal character, just walked into a trap that was like so clearly a trap. Yeah. They they don't make it secretive. It feels like anybody with a couple cents <laughs> would be like, huh. I think they're going to double cross me right now. It also, yeah, it also feels weird because he could have just went to fucking Hugh's house to kick off the plot. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> he he doesn't do that. He does not do that. Uh, apparently there's a fire on an oil substation and he goes to deal with that. Um, and of course, it's a trap. It's been booby-trapped with lots of explosions and... Um, yeah, his dead body. His, yeah, yeah, we well. see Hugh's dead body with his his leg missing and the pipe fitter, and uh, so so that is. Re- and again, like he doesn't really react much to that, and Hugh is never mentioned again, really. <laughs> then he runs, or he starts to run away. They set off the bomb, and then he's blown, I don't know, probably like twenty feet or so, and they think he's just dead. That is that is right. Right. Yes. But um, yeah. So even by action movie standards, that explosion would have killed him. Yeah. 
Because mm. he's engulfed in the flames too. Oh yeah. He is completely well, in the, the fireball of it. And then that's that's when we, we get um tribespeople villagers uh, going along on their sleds and uh, we get uh, a random shot of a polar bear for, for yes. fun times because <laughs> like uh We're- the Were landscape and nature photography or? in this film is, you know, like uh, Rick Wait, the great job here. So, because I didn't know, were they hunting the polar bear or were they, it, was it just two separate things that there was a I polar think it was bear? just two separate things. <laughs> like, they, I think they were just heading back to their village and they okay. saw a polar bear. Okay. Well, I that... think the polar bear was just there too, so it can show up in the, the spiritual quest montage coming up. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, because... and we should keep track of these, right? So we had one at the start of the film. So once again, in the random pole, just before the random polar bears uh, shot, uh, we get the the eagle call sound. Okay. So second <laughs> eagle call sound. And then he is saved because they see the smoke, and the the chieftain says of the tribe says that there's a man bear in the smoke. That's it. <laughs> Yes, that is, the, that is correct. Sorry, the, the spirit of a man bear. The spirit the of a man bear, yes. <laughs> so they go to go to the smoke. and. Rec- oh, I mean, we'll kind of quickly skip over some things. Um, yeah. So, like, we get a second press conference from Jennings where the apparently the rigs and the substation are being blamed on Hugh and Forrest. It's all sabotage, and that's that one sorted, which uh, apparently nobody believes right off the bat. So he is really bad at lying. Yeah, I'm surprised. I don't know. Because it seems like throughout the whole time, nobody ever believes it at all. Any of the stuff he's doing. No, like he's, he's not convincing at all. Like Everybody no. sees right through him. But nobody thinks, well, maybe let's investigate this more. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we need to race on uh, yeah. because we have got some fun times ahead of us. So, Sigal wakes up in the tribal village and is being fed something by an old woman. Who's and, chewing uh, it for him. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you wanted to mention this, Craig. You, I think you found this uh, scene particularly funny. Yeah, so this is where I thought, you know, yes, there was all these kind of quirky moments, whatever. This moment right here was where it's like, okay, it has to be, there has to be like obvious humor because he's laying there. It's this weird shot of him laying there. I don't know what, where, how the, the lighting and everything where you're just basically seeing his head and he's not moving besides his head. And she's chewing it and she goes to give him a little bit more. And instead of like moving away or anything at all, he just goes, "You." <laughs> that's, but it's this this weirdest reaction, in a way that could only be done in a comedy movie. I feel like, like in, no one, yeah, unless you're that unaware of your inability to perform and you're directing yeah. yourself. <laughs> and so that's that's when the whole wagon kicked off of like okay so what am i watching here and you know has become now the reoccurring note in my that i keep talking about throughout this episode (laughs) which will only get worse and now we have more pseudo mysticism peppered in this scene like this scene is great like all the scenes 
in in and around the village are really real fun times. So we have like a weird conversation where we we should point out that like Segal did seem to go to the effort of at least employing people who were actually Alaskan natives. Uh, But, you know, apart from Joan Chen, who is Chinese, and again, that seems to be like one of those Hollywood logic things of just being like, looks close enough. Uh, (laughs) But anyway, Masu is interpreting for the the kind of chieftain of the village, who was subtitled in the first time we saw him, but now is now no longer subtitled and is just yeah. translated by Masu for a bunch of scenes. And uh, yes, we, we learn that um, he thinks that Stephen Seagal is a bear. And Stephen Seagal says, no, translate this. I am a mouse hiding from the hawks in the house <laughs> of the ravens. I wrote that down. <laughs> it's a, uh, what a quote. I mean, that is, a, that is a line that was written down by no that's that's a line that was that was definitely a Seagal number i don't think that was in the original script no if that's yeah if i get it and get another tattoo i'm gonna have that line yeah it. yeah no that, that's that's a good one see kyle if again uh we we talked um previously uh about the the possibility of t-shirts and the the kind of superior yeah. state superior uh, you know like superior attitude superior state of mind that's another one that's another that's another great one yes uh, yeah. for the back that, of the t-shirt <laughs> that would have to go with a picture of seagal making that disgusted face <laughs> <laughs> so if you're interested in these t-shirts we could start producing them and you can buy them on They'll have all all 90s action all the time on the front and then various Seagal quotes on the back. <laughs> this, this is going yes. to be the best line of t-shirts ever, guys. <laughs> what I love even more about this is when he says this, the look on Joan Chen's face, like she looks disgusted to be having to translate this bullshit. So I don't even know where to go. I think this is, it could have been I, I don't even because i've watched enough movies for the podcast or stuff like this late at night mm-hmm. but this was like one of those where i was clearly awake i had caffeine in me mm-hmm. so it wasn't like i was tired but it was like this is where the blurring all like what is it's happening now <laughs> especially oh, okay. when we get to the spiritual trip that's about these to take place. these movies can induce some sort of brain fog yeah, yeah, that, kind of that is true. <laughs> I like tend to. I mean, I have watched them a couple of times before, and but also like I, I do like a, a bunch of uh, pausing and taking notes and yeah. stuff like that. So like, um, so I keep everything in in order. Um, so yeah, we should kind of skip along to the. I mean, we we get a couple other scenes. Um, we get a scene of like Magruder and Otto like looking for uh, Seagal. Actually, t- to be fair, we should point this one out because again, as one of those magnificent uh, Seagal kind of tropes, like basically Jennings when Magruder and Otto are looking for him, uh, says, "If there's no body, it means he must be alive." And this is one of many kind of just how manly tough badass is Forrest Taft. Well, he's the goddamn toughest son of a bitch he's ever lived. <laughs> yeah. We get more magnificent examples of that yeah. late, later on, but we should now kind of head along uh, so, to, to the spirit quest. But that's what I 
right before we do I had one thing about it of that. So Jennings knows that Forrest doesn't know everything about Forrest, but he knows that Forrest is like this special guy who has is the toughest and all this stuff, but yet he never divulged divulges yes. that information to you know McGruber or whatever beforehand or anything like that. It's just well and he doesn't just hire him as like the <laughs> security <laughs> guy. Yeah. Yes. But and this is a spoiler <laughs> this is a spoiler towards the end of the movie that we'll we'll discuss again at the end of the movie. But much like in the last movie we, we covered under siege, at the end of this movie it is suggested that the relationship Segal's character oh, yeah. has with the main villain is much closer than has been portrayed throughout the rest of the goddamn movie, which doesn't make any sense. But we'll get to that when we get there. Now onto the trip. That now onto the trip. So we get um, Masu is again translating stuff, and uh, before we get to the trip, uh, we get like a little bit of a speech from the chief uh, about. Uh, like about a bear about like Seagal being a bear <laughs> and uh, during during this speech we get uh, two more eagle calls so like that's uh, that's four caw -caw. Four <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, so yeah just so you know what kind of movie you're in it's mystical you know eagle call mystical that's, that's how that math adds up um, but I <laughs> I think um, we sh we should uh, we should go through this, like so. The chief hits Forrest Taft with a feather. <laughs> then, in his dream spirit walk, Sagal Forrest Taft becomes an eagle, soaring over the skies. Then we see a bear. Forrest fights with the bear with a knife. This is intercut with a kind of weird tribal ritual, which apparently has to be performed topless. Yes. <laughs> then, after fighting the bear, he is thrown into a river by the bear. He then goes into a cave. He is confronted by two women. One is an elderly lady shaking a maraca, who is apparently Mother Nature, the other is a completely naked tribal woman who is maybe the devil? Anyway, she's tempting Sigal Forest Taft over with her wily ways and the old woman is just shaking the maraca and kind of looking at him, kind of like, talk to me. And Forest Taft has to make a decision. Will he be lured by the naked seductious you know like why why is or will he go and talk to this elderly well of course he goes and talks to the elderly women because he picks the wise path because Segal stroke forest taft is a wise man now he then talks to the elderly woman who is apparently mother nature and uh tell asks her why why is she suffering and um, basically, uh, basically, all the things that people are doing to the land are, are making her suffer. And um, she has chosen him specifically, Forrest Taft, 
to be the bear, the protector of the land. And she wants him to make people fear the bear again. Yes, Mother Nature herself has appointed Steven Seagal as the savior of the world. The spirit warrior, too, <laughs> they call it, right? Yeah, that's a good spirit warrior. Oh, yeah, and then he, once the, the spirit quest is over, he emerges triumphantly from a, a pool of water. I mean, um, like I mean, either of you can try and unpack <laughs> that if you want. All I know is he's wearing, like, a different hoodie. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, come, he comes out with a different kind of Eskimo jacket. Yeah, yeah. When, when, he, when he emerges. Where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, I've, that's as much as I got, but yeah all i can know or all i can tell is that the they really make sure to punch that bear element even by the end because he comes out of the water and his arms are spread apart and it's like everything you know you see in those nature videos when you're watching a grizzly bear underwater so yeah like Seagal went proper method for that you know he studied he studied bears for months you know just to get the just the right reaction so it's not going to be a wolf it's not a fox. He's no, a bear. No. <laughs> no. I just want you to, both of you, to let that sink in that Mother Nature herself yeah. <laughs> has appointed Forrest Taft as the savior of the world to protect the environment single handedly. And yet, it almost doesn't even come up until the very end. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. He like there's a point where when he has to start fighting where he's like yeah we'll get to it but um like i understand i'm this warrior but that has to wait (laughs) it's just thrown away that (laughs) he was appointed the spirit warrior but now that's bad that's because we live in pause (laughs) we live in this world craig yeah where this violence is happening we have to face it we have to live in the real world yeah he he talks about that a little bit later uh we we can get that to that uh in a minute right so next up uh we get uh, magruder who has basically tracked uh forest to the the village uh, suspecting that he is there and uh, bullies everyone and just does kind of typical john c mcginley stuff where he's like a kind of tough guy but he's like a kind of cowardly whiny tough guy and he he shoots the chief like basically there's a scuffle and he he shoots him and then basically makes all sorts of excuses that it was totally self-defense totally what was the other guy's fault you know like wasn't he him and then runs back off in a helicopter which nobody believes at any point that it was (laughs) self-defense yes he tries to tell that story to everyone in the same way with um jennings you know trying to come up with all these excuses just nobody believes it know the truth yeah absolutely and and like jennings even mocks him for it of like you know like yeah yeah everybody believes that you know he did it in front of like a dozen witnesses great yeah so Although the i mean in that kind of same scene we get like a little bit of like uh they've got the fbi in like at that point and like it's the only time law enforcement comes up and it's like 
Yeah, it's mentioned like all of twice that the character is like the FBI character comes in like all of twice, does nothing. And uh, yeah, like, you know, people are indiscriminately killed, property is exploded, you know, like law enforcement does not exist in this movie, really. No, not at all. No. Alaska. Even when they will get to it later, the climax, but they mention like, how are we going to kill him now that the FBI's here? And then they just go on about shooting each other yeah. like crazy. <laughs> well, well by true. the end, the FBI guy even just runs away. It's not like he even does anything. That, that is true. That's true. He's just in those two scenes. And one of them, yeah, he's just running away. What I like kind of moving forward is that, you know, as the chieftain is dying, you know, um, Forrest comes up to him, you know, everybody's surrounding him. And his big whole spiel, I guess this emotional connection, is that he tells her to just tell the chief, thank you and goodbye. I think that's it. That's his big, like, sentimental goodbye to this man that's apparently changed his life and he loves, as he says later on. <laughs> I like that it seems like Joan Chen is going to have something to do finally in this movie. Yeah. And then they're like, no, nah, we're not really going to deal with her father's <laughs> death that much. No, that, even, that is true. He even <laughs> says to McGruder that, that I'll, I'll watch you die. But then she isn't even there, I think, for when, spoiler alert, he does die. <laughs> that is true. She's not. So, yeah. No, it, it definitely, there's, there's all these kind of moments where it's like, she feel, like like I said, when she's first introduced, she feels like she's supposed to be a main character, but she's like just totally sidelined at every opportunity and is just, her, yeah, an, an entirely decorative presence. It seems like it it makes more sense now when you were talking at the beginning about the original script that maybe it was supposed to be the two of them more so. And then with Seagal you know, yeah. coming in and wanting more Seagal, mm. that character just kind of faded. To, so you see the little remnants of the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But basically they, they head on back they head on back to town. Uh, Seagal is, Forrest Taft is completely recovered um, from his wounds that he picked up in the explosion. That's all good now. And they head back to our old friend Hugh Palmer's house. And the callback. That's how it happens now. Yeah. They get that he goes back to get that bag. And luckily, in that bag, what's in that bag, Kyle? A floppy disk with important information. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> the same one that they won't use. Now, even yeah, that's never going to come up later. <laughs> and in like one of the movie's many, many odd moments, apparently also in that bag is clothing and shoes that will fit Masoo. <laughs> yes, apparently she's the same size as Hugh. Lucky. <laughs> but the henchmen happen to find them that is true too and so. because like uh, forrest taft is now in action mode uh we get another jacket change and he now has a leather jacket and that's where it comes up that well he shouldn't be resorting to violence he's the spirit warrior and he should be above all that and you know all of this whole journey that he just went through the spiritual journey is tossed out the window because He's got killing to do. 
that that is true and he because he, he has to stop off at another friend like we should mention in this action yeah. sequence, there's two things i i want to mention about the action sequence that happens at uh, hugh's house uh one there's a very odd edit where he shoots a guy in front of him but it looks like he shoots him with a shotgun that's pointing towards the ceiling but he actually shoots him with a 45 that he's got in his other hand which i I had to watch the scene twice to pick that up. Oh, I didn't even catch. Yeah, I know there's yeah there's yeah. a couple weird edits like that, but I didn't even catch that one. Kyle, did you did you see that? Like I I, I don't know. I like did. maybe maybe like... maybe you saw the forty five in his hand all along, and maybe it was just my viewing. No. Um, no. But I thought it was like like he it just looked like he shot him with that shotgun. Which was obviously pointing towards the ceiling, but it was the guy was straight in front of him. I was really confused by it, so I like rewound that bit and was like, "Oh no, he's got a gun in his other hand, right?" Okay, I did notice that now. It seemed like there was supposed to be another henchman, like somewhere else. That's what it seemed like to me. Like they cut something. I don't know. It was weird editing, or it seemed like he was supposed to be shooting someone upstairs, like on the balcony or something. I don't know. It was weird. Yep. yeah because that uh, that's yeah. the thing i caught whereas i thought i didn't notice the the gun part but i thought wait so, and it felt like kyle was saying that another henchman just came out of nowhere yeah just... for sure i think the other thing that we should mention because again it's kind of one of those cigar tropes of like an imposing figure who looks like they're going to be a threat just isn't a threat at all and so Sven Althardson, who is, you know, the, the typical silent, brooding, menacing Sven Althardson type, um, he looks like he can kick a lot of ass, he'd probably be a, a threat. Nope. No, he's taken out by three clubs to the head and a clothesline. And that's him, where he's presumed dead because he's not seen again. Yeah. Yes. And right before that, though, there's a moment where... Uh... Seagal's machine gun jams so he goes hand to hand with another henchman and Sven just watches that that's where I was like what? just shoot Seagal just shoot him in the back of the head yeah no, no. that's a fair point no no he, he just watches on because he, he really wants to go because he's a manly man too so he wants to go like toe to toe with him but it doesn't work that's out 90s so well. or 80s and 90s action movies though they don't take hey. advantage like that they want to yeah they have honor yeah yeah because i mean even in like really good films you know like you know there's a classic scene in like fist of fury where there's like 20 guys around bruce lee all of whom come at him one at a time in the big circle that is around him you know like it's always done in a kind of convenient way true also coming up is again one of my other favorite lines in the film is you know, as we've discussed, so Craig, this is definitely already on your list, that it has to be, the point has to be driven home at all times that any Steven Seagal character, this character, Forrest Taft, is the toughest, baddest-ass yeah. <laughs> man who's ever lived. So uh, Michael Caine, at this stage, delivers this line about Forrest yes. Taft. And the greatness of Fortas. McGregor basically is like, oh, how bad is this guy? And yeah. Jennings gives this response. Delve down to the deepest bowels of your soul. 
try to imagine the ultimate fucking nightmare and that won't even get close to this son of a bitch <laughs> when he gets pissed why would you leave killing him to chance that's what exactly I mean. if you know this information <laughs> from the beginning why would you be like maybe yeah let's just double cross him like we would anybody else uh, well yeah you you're i mean you're absolutely right you know like jennings does seem to have his number in terms of like knowing this background information that nobody else knows and he doesn't bother to impart on anybody until this point in the film which is about three quarters of the way through the film yeah which so uh yep uh so at this point they have to bring in the big guns and who's the big guns played by craig um it's the well i know there's Harley Emery. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Okay, okay. <laughs> Good save there, Kyle. Who's yeah. the big guns played by Kyle? <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton. Yes. No, Billy Bob Thornton's later. We'll discuss Billy Bob Thornton okay. later. We're, we're on Harley Emery right now. Okay. Well, and then we find out that he is. We get even more backstory. We get Harley Emery. We get in the helicopter, and we get that Seagal is maybe CIA, maybe NSA, maybe Department of Defense. And so that's where I wrote down the note, which apparently is a trope, as you guys have talked about. But mm-hmm. as I was watching it, I wrote, so he's CIA because, question mark, they needed reasoning <laughs> for us. Oh, they system. don't need reasoning. No, oh, yeah, you don't. All you need no. is a file, Craig. Okay. There doesn't even have to be anything in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this is like the, the Seagal origin story, because like in his very first film, which we won't talk about because it was made in the 80s, uh, Nico or Above the Law, depending where you saw that movie. Uh, I, again, he's a cop who has a mysterious CIA uh, background. So like, you know, from his very first film, this is like a thing. Okay. Yeah, which makes sense now listening to you guys talk about it. But yeah, while well, I was watching it, <laughs> I was like... Well, this little bit of information, the same with Jennings, is popping up now, this late in the movie. Yeah, after many failed murder attempts where yeah. you would think they would mention these important pieces of information. <laughs> nope. Yeah, yeah. I don't, like, I, I don't hold to story structure completely, whatever. But <laughs> usually there's information that you you know bring yeah. in early on so it can pay off later. <laughs> That is true. Yes. <laughs> Talking about story stru- structure, uh, we get like a big kind of exposition dump when we look into Q's floppy disk at the house of uh, Johnny Redfeather, who is a friend of uh, Forrest Taft. And uh, yeah, so we get more dialogue about preventers. Oh. And then it like, this is where it kind of gets confusing because like, Forrest's plan is to blow up the rig, but the rig was going to blow up because it's (laughs) unstable, but the way he's going to blow it up will not cause an oil spill, whereas the way it will blow up itself will cause an... Like, it it caused me a headache, this scene. It It, it, it would send the toxic, the toxins back into something yeah and pollute the water but the way he's going to implode it will will not cause that like it won't cause an (laughs) oil spill it won't pollute the the water 
and and then like Masoud like makes the entirely reasonable point that she has contacts in the press and they could just like they now have the information and they could just make a scandal of it and but yeah but this is like man's world and we have to deal with that <laughs> I wrote down for that for yeah all these monologues that he's doing it the way he's delivering them it feels like somebody who either doesn't know his lines that well and so he's just trying to remember like if you i don't know have seen it no they, i th very much think the yeah. monologues the monologues are are to go yeah because this is this is another thing probably should, another thing you should add to your list that um Seagal often adds in his own like uh, little monologues in right. his movies. Like and he often tries to rewrite things and uh, like we in one episode, the episode for Mark for Death, we talked about how like Seagal thought he had rewrote like something like 93% of the script yes. and went to arbitration <laughs> with the Writers Guild of America, which to yes. get credit on the film um and he, he did not get that credit his case was thrown out <laughs> yeah okay. and he's made those claims about pretty much every movie to some degree or another that he like was also a writer yes so i want so there's a reason why nobody wants to work with us anymore <laughs> many reasons oh yeah 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 um yeah many reasons like one of the other ones is like he often does his own fight choreography yeah. and he often stiffs stunt guys by like not movie punching them but like punching them which if you i'm sure you read this when you were researching it scott but apparently he supposedly did that to sven like, yes apparently so. yes so then we're moving on to the point where we see that he has a bunch of guns and explosives and Basically, a whole army's worth of weaponry. What makes this particular? Right? We should also mention what makes this particularly magnificent is he keeps this in a cabin halfway up a mountain that can only be <laughs> accessed via horse or helicopter. <laughs> no, but they no, specifically yeah. say yeah. it can only be accessed on horseback because that's why. Arlie Emery and his crew uh, get off their helicopter and go onto yeah. their horses. And again, Masu, who makes good points throughout the movie that are completely ignored, um, says, "Why do you have this? You know, <laughs> like I, I think she says something like, in case you want to um, start a war with a small country or something, or blow up uh, half of a small country, and um, like." Forrest just kind of agrees. He just kind of like, yeah, just in case. Moving on, let's pack up these <laughs> explosives. So then the the helicopter fill comes that has just basically the pilot and a one gunman to I guess keep tabs on them while they're while the rest of the mercenary team is coming up to get them. Yeah, I'm assuming. Yep. And that's when he instead basically ditches most of these guns and everything to blow up the cabin absolutely yep yeah yeah in the helicopter smashing that looks 
like a toy copter or something. I don't know, smashing against <laughs> a huge rock wall. Yeah, no, there's, there's some fun miniature work right there. That's yeah, it's <laughs> entertaining stuff. And then we get to see him go all Rambo. That's right, and just uh, <laughs> making all these kind of like little explosive devices while the other guys uh, come for them on horseback and they discover one of the explosive devices and get all smug about it of being like, oh, he didn't hit it this well. Maybe he's not quite the badass that we read up on. Uh, immediately, that guy and another guy uh, fall into a secondary booby trap that was, he obviously deliberately set one up that was very visible and then set up other ones that, that weren't. And uh, yeah, those guys die. And then <laughs> Magruder being the John C. McGinley kind of curvedly badass just goes mental at this point <laughs> and just does his kind of own version of the scene in Predator and just shoots just shoots randomly aimlessly into the forest, um, <laughs> which Arlie Emery quite rightly is like, what the fuck are you doing? Who are you shooting at? Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. And so... Yeah, and then we get, like, uh, do you, does one of you, like, uh, Kyle, do you want to take the, the epic horse chase that follows? Yes. <laughs> I mean, basically, they go down this very steep hill, um, and we do, in, in this bit, we get introduced to Billy Bob Thornton in here somewhere. But basically, we end up at sort of a ravine that is just barely jumpable by horse. So Seagal throws over a pack of, what it must be the floppy disk and whatnot mm -hmm. and him and yeah. joan chen jump this gap and leave a bomb on the other side that goes off just as arlie emery and crew arrive and get away for the moment but they know where they're going the aegis one <laughs> <laughs> that's right we're heading to the oil rig big oil rig finale at aegis one and oh, we get another uh, fun fun line as well. So like ages, like you know, we we kind of discuss this again. The FBI have been called, and they kind of discuss like, oh, how are we going to you know track him down and kill him with the FBI president, which they then uh, totally ignore. And again, we get another just how tough is Forrest Taft line, where um, uh, Jennings tells Magruder that he is the patron saint of the impossible. <laughs> <laughs> at some point in there too doesn't um emory talks about oh he has yes, some little yeah, like, um, thing about yeah, how awesome there, there, he is there is there is a, a a bit that that comes that comes up as well that's um pretty pretty epic I, I think maybe we should read that out as well this is the kind of final little bit of just how badass is this character arlie emory says the following my guy in DC tells me we're not dealing with a student here. We're dealing with a professor. Anytime the military has an operation that can't fail, they call this guy in to train the troops, okay? He's the kind of guy that would drink a gallon of gasoline so you could piss in your campfire. You could drop this guy off in the Arctic Circle wearing a pair of bikini underwear without his toothbrush and tomorrow afternoon he's going to show up at your poolside with a million dollar smile and a fistful of pesos. This guy's a professional. You got me. It just, I don't know. Uh, it just, it almost goes to like, uh, what is it, that Kung Pao movie where the characters to show 
how great he is. He says, I go pee pee standing up. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> it's just all this talk about it. And again, my recurring quote of like, how is it not? <laughs> I, I was cracking up at that point. I think I was. Oh, yeah. No, my, no. To like, be, my to wife fair, and my yeah. child from just laughing. Yeah, I, I can see why you thought this was some sort of kind of black dynamite style spoof, you know, but <laughs> it's, it's really not. It's very serious business. And then, um, yeah, we kind of get like a, a flurry of, of action sequences, um, like Forrest. Uh, I don't know like why Forrest at, at first goes to the effort of like making that plastic bottle uh, silencer when everyone yeah. else he kills, he just kills an incredibly yeah. loud and yeah, like uh, flashy fashion. Like, you know, first he goes in there, you know, like he's solid snake and then the, yeah, he, he totally ignores that for the the rest of this mission to blow up this oil rig. Well, he even shoots it through glass, which uh, makes noise anyways. <laughs> it's not even completely like the but, silent. But what you're forgetting is that Making that cool silencer just makes him look cool. Yeah, he takes <laughs> the time. That, that, is, that is true. That is That's true. That's what we're trying to hammer home here. <laughs> yeah. he t- he takes hard, the time cool to pour and it. tough is Forrest Taft. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he makes sure to pour out the Coke and everything too, or whatever. I think it's probably like Coke or Pepsi or something. <laughs> yeah, and then um, yeah, and then, so like basically there there is a fun scene where like Magruder. And basically jump ship and the female lawyer that is called Lyles um, is played by an actress called Sherry Static. Uh, they basically both bail as well she bails in a very funny way he bails in a kind of like this is insane I'm not getting paid enough for this shit and she bails by like being like ah, I just need to go to the bathroom <laughs> and then everybody else bails when Jennings leaves the room for a second a whole yes. crowd of people. Yeah, yeah as soon Curry as he out. turns his back, every every one of his employees is like, nah, I'm, I'm not going out with this asshole. That's, that's not going to happen. Which again, why would the owner of an oil company, he's doing a lot of like hands-on work for somebody that's supposed to be like a CEO of the company. I, it's, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. He, <laughs> he does turn up a lot as like um, in these in these scenes. He, ah. I don't like it's funny because like as you mentioned he's kind of a fun character but he's also of the movies we've covered he's the weakest villain the you know apart from Senator Trent who was the villain in the first movie we covered hard to kill mm-hmm. like all the other villains are like really good like really kind of powerful on-screen presences uh, Screwface and Mark for Death and William Forsyth's mad character Richie yes. in Out for Justice, and the possibly even more madcap duo of Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey in Under Siege. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, yeah, this, and I suppose like his, I know he's not supposed to be a threat to Forrest Taft or, you know, Seagal's character. Um, he's just that kind of typical villainous uh, businessman. But and he hands everything off to his kind of lackeys and stuff. But yeah, I mean, fun character, but as a villain, kind of weak. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So Magruder, he 
carts it. He like before he can get onto the or uh, yeah the helicopter. Like uh, Forrest manages to track him down, but like sadly, again, like uh, Sven Olthorst's character's death was a bit disappointing. Magruder's death is a bit disappointing as well because he he dies off screen. He just hey. uh, he dies kind of raider style, and you just you just see the blood in the blades. And then the lawyer, she Lyles, you said. Like, yeah, she goes she, out in properly gruesome fashion. Yeah. <laughs> She's getting that. away, but then has to go and look at, make some co- snide comment while she's passing by Forrest, which then leads her to run right into basically an oil truck. And working into your theory Smash that the it's all a parody, um, Craig, <laughs> she she dies yeah. in in classic movie fashion where she takes her hands off the wheel of the car as she knows she's going to drive into her, you know, and, and you know, like a gas tank uh, tanker and just crosses her arms over her face. And it was easily avoidable. It's not like she was going that fast or anything. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a proper kind of Austin Powers moment. Yeah. But the, the violent, again, the, the violence of that scene is is a bit jarring because like she dies in quite a gruesome like the way she's like super bloody and stuff it's it's uh again there's a kind of bit of nastiness in that scene that I get apart from the death of Hugh the torture sequence of Hugh it's not as uh I suppose it's made up for by the fact that it's, it's quite stupid and it is a bit Austin Powersy. It it yeah. feels like that death should have been for Magruder because he was kind of the main threat. She was just, you know, off doing whatever. She was never, I don't know. It seems like you'd want to save it for somebody that deserved it more. <laughs> I don't know. I agree. Yeah, it feels very mean-spirited when she didn't really do anything on screen that was that bad. And she's Well, she did want to cut everybody's compensation packet. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, true. that was her main act of villainy, <laughs> but like, you know, which compared to the other people who are out there, you know, killing and torturing and ordering, killing and torturing, you know, it, it doesn't seem that bad. I mean, but yeah, yeah, it it does seem like she gets a more extreme death than her crimes. Like the various other characters like Magruder, like Sven Aldorz, like yeah, a bunch of the other main villains don't get as kind of a, a, a gruesome and as explosive death as she gets. So you do wonder like why she got the treatment she did. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like uh being being a good union guy, you know, like she wanted to cut the competition packets, so hey. Yeah. <laughs> true so again it feels like i'm just saying everything is like one of those weird moments in this film but again we get another like uh, weird moment in this film where like we've mentioned that billy bob thornton plays a henchman <laughs> yes he's great <laughs> and now yeah. we get a completely random henchman conversation which feels like it's out of a sheen black movie yeah Yes. Where Billy Bob Thornton is, is talking about his gun and whether to have the stack in or out the machine gun and you know like because like one way makes him he just it just feels cooler, it feels uh, more solid that way, and he thinks you know it it look better, you know? And it's just it's just such a random scene. And then like and then and then they become like 
these two henchmen become like the Statler and Waldorf of this situation. <laughs> provide like a kind of commentary where like Billy Bob Thornton was like I told you this fucker was good uh, <laughs> yeah they're, all the chaos is happening you know probably what 50 to 100 feet below and he's just they're just kind of talking about how oh look what's going on over there <laughs> again so, how is that not how can I, somebody write that and be not thinking it was comedic <laughs> I've no idea. I've no idea. It's it's like genuinely, it is like they got Shane Black to write one scene in the movie yeah. of being like, yeah, just do your typical meta Shane Black stuff, you know, yeah. just but just for this one scene, you don't get to write any of the other scenes in the movie, just this one. Okay. Oh dear, we have to yeah, blow is... up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't even really get to have any sort of proper death. It's just they point their guns at the elevator. And That's right. Yeah. So, um, like, Forrest orders Masoo to like uh, load up the elevator and send the elevator up. It's packed with explosives. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton and the other henchman. I, I don't know. I don't know who the, the other henchman is. Um, but anyway, they both shoot at it. It explodes. They die. That's the end of them. Which is a shame because I would have liked the whole like this whole segment of the movie to have this meta commentary uh, from Amazing. these two henchmen. I think that would have been great. But we, we can't get that. Uh, we now move on to uh, more Arlie Emery. Uh, we get Rambo, Rambo Emery as he emerges from the oil to attack Forrest Taft and lasts all of two seconds because... <laughs> Forrest immediately disarms him, spins his shotgun around, and uh, shoots uh, Emery with with his own with his own shotgun. Or I should say, Stone. His character was called Stone. If I've not mentioned that before, it's just I don't know because there's normally a style to action movies. Again, mm -hmm. I am the novice here, but everything is just too easy. There's a, there's norm. Yeah. It feels like there should be struggle. That's like why you root for these heroes and everything. But for Seagal, well, it's like even the toughest of the tough guys are just, there's no like struggle, I guess. Well, this is the fifth movie that Kyle and I have covered. And uh, so far, yeah, like he's only, I mean, he was put in a coma in the first movie we, we covered, but then he was shot like about six times with, various shotguns and um like one of the villains screw face too like oh no we can't explain that um but anyway uh, <laughs> briefly in mark for death the villain one of the villains get the the upper hand we're not going through that again um the upper hand on him yeah. uh, like remember that kyle he briefly he remember do, he knocked yeah. him into very a bar briefly uh, and okay. then he smashed his face off a bar as well uh very briefly got the upper hand no nobody gets the upper hand on that again, you should add that to your list. Nobody, he is invincible. Like okay. basically, in kind of action movie history, you know, because he, I mean, Seagal actually does it to an even bigger extent. But in action movie history, there's only been two major action stars I feel that are like completely invincible in all their movies, and the other one is Bruce Lee. Um, but Seagal does a kind of even more extreme version of of what. The, the the Bruce Lee thing and yeah. Bruce Lee is kind of naturally cooler and more charismatic. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm not knocking Bruce Lee at all. Like, uh, big, big fan. Uh, so, uh, yeah, like, um, I don't know. Again, this is an, an integral part of his persona that he is completely invincible and nobody gets the nobody gets the drop on him and he can deal with most villains in in short shrift even ones that have been built up throughout the movie as a genuine threat to him they never end up being a genuine threat <laughs> so i guess that does that take us to um, i think this episode has just become yeah. kylan scott explain the rules of segal to craig <laughs> i mean yeah it had to happen yeah, yeah i suppose that's true so does this take us to the point where <laughs> Jennings, again, the CEO, mm-hmm. by himself is twisting the knobs and doing all the hands-on work to try and Well, fix everybody is left everything. by now, you know, to yeah. be fair. But yes, yeah, he's, continue, Greg. He's turning that crank, not crank, that wheel, whatever, he's spinning it mm-hmm. to do something oil-related, <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> Yeah, something. I, I, we, yeah. Well, actually, yeah, it's never explained what what he thinks is going to happen when he when yeah. he does that, or like what the purpose of that action is. But yes, yeah. And so he, they're confronted, and you think there might be a standoff. No, he says, "Well, you're too much of a." He starts to walk past Forrest, saying, "What you're too honorable yeah, he, he, with your like macho." He says. He says. You're a macho man with a, a code of honor, and uh, and that's where like we should mention like we should mention uh, before he says that they have a brief conversation, and now again, uh, much like in Under Siege, where there's a kind of last minute thing where we think that the relationship is much closer than it's been previously portrayed. There is a line that Jennings says um, towards Masu that um, that basically that Forrest and him got hookers in Bangkok that were hotter than that which like you know you're like wait what like were they just like you know I thought he was just like a somebody who had recently joined the company as a firefighter learned the error of his ways and then like how long was he at the corporation like I, was he super close with Jen? Like it just opens a lot of. I mean, and maybe it's just a sarcastic remark, but like it, I feel like it opens up a bunch of questions about their relationship. Yeah, no, yes, it definitely it does. does because it feel because in the beginning, that uh, Forrest is supposed to be a local type of thing, and then yeah, that's why I don't understand because there's the whole conversation about you used to be a good person from his friend. And all this stuff. So it seems like this relationship with Jennings is something that happened at least fairly recently. Yes. It feels like another thing that was probably in the earlier script, you know, where where they were trying to make him more of a um, more of a corrupt guy who was an alcoholic and all these things and is gonna like turn it around for this movie. Yeah. yeah yeah like he was maybe like yeah it was maybe better established that he was actually an employee for this company for like a, a long time and kind of knew you know like didn't have the evidence that they were doing super budget but kind of knew that, that that they were you know suspected but kind of buried that and for the money or whatever yeah buried that for yeah. for the money but yeah that's never that's never explored and it's only kind of hinted at and it's hinted at in such a weird way you're just like you don't understand the relationship 
at all because at some points in the movie it seems like he's only been in an employee for about five minutes he'd previously turned his back on like whatever local job he was doing for more money but then by this point in the movie and at certain other points in the movie it seems like he's had this like long standing relationship with jennings especially since jennings knows so much about his history or at least knows that he's such a badass yeah and again yeah i mean that opens up a lot of questions (laughs) as well because initially when arlie emery's crew is after him it, they keep going on about how top top secret the files on him are and how he basically doesn't have a personal history before 1987 and yet Jennings apparently knows a whole bunch of stuff on him. <laughs> yeah it almost seems like they would have a whole military backstory like they were both in the military together but we don't have time for that. Yeah we don't, we don't have time for that's this. a whole other movie <laughs> <laughs> It's a whole, that's a whole better movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's the movie I've created in my head. The other one. So, so he yes. lasses them, even though he said you're too, you know, telling him that he's macho and that he wouldn't kill him, shoot a man in the back or whatever. He wouldn't shoot an unarmed man in yeah. the back because he's too much of a macho man with a, with a code of honor, um, which is true. He doesn't yeah. shoot him in the back. But what does he do, Craig? He lasses them. Which Jennings doesn't really put up much of a fight. He just gets pulled away. And then they hang him up on a, a hook over big vat of oil. And they were just going to leave him there. But instead, she wants to see him fall. And so they cut the rope. Well, they shoot the rope. Oh, oh you like, should you should mention, like, because, like, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't mention... <laughs> one of the great one-liners where Jennings says, kill me, kill me, kill me, you coward, you know, and like basically taunts him. And Forrest quips, I wouldn't dirty my bullets. And oh, then, yeah. oh yes. <laughs> and then, my, and then at that point, it looks like Forrest is genuinely going to just leave him hanging. And then Masu goes, just dirty one for me. And then he shoots the thing. Awesome. That he falls oh, into the big vat of oil. <laughs> yes. And that's the end of the mo- Oh, wait, no. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> There's more. We have the lecture series. Be- before after. we get to the lecture, <laughs> I have to point out my favorite slow-mo moment here. Oh, yeah. So now, they've, now they're running out of this soon-to-be-exploding oil rig. And there's a moment where like a, a duct, a piece of round uh, air duct like falls down. And it's about a foot high that anyone could jump over. Mm-hmm. But Steven Seagal leaps over it in slow motion. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh, we should we should say as well, talking about slow motion, that uh, Jennings uh, like falls uh, Hans Gruber style in, in, in slow-mo. Yes. Yes. Oh dear. So so guys, you, you wanna you wanna flip a coin? Who who wants to take the lecture? I mean it's it might be my favorite part of the movie <laughs> do it kyle okay, you, yes. you, you do it kyle i'm sure i've so, i have faith that you're gonna get, do this a lot of justice <laughs> oh yes so i'm sure it's sometime later we don't know now we're at a meeting of some native people and certainly probably some other important officials and seagal forest gives a presentation on the ills of uh these oil companies 
on the environment and how we're destroying the environment, which is, you know, destroying our food and our water and the media is distracting us from this horribleness and what are we going to do about this? Um, and there's a whole montage that is just amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and then when he's done, I mean, there's some native people that perform sort of some kind of ritual and are burning some sort of incense. And I, I guess Seagal saved the entire environment. <laughs> we, don't, we don't see that, but I think that's, that would be what happens. Yes. As the credits roll. My only yeah. view with that whole thing is that when the chieftain dies, he specifically says to Seagal, this is just, I guess, one of my little um, notes, I guess. I don't have, have many. Um, yeah. He says, at the end of all of this, I'll see you on the lake. Whatever. But you never see him on the lake. I guess. Yes, oh. you do. Yes, no. you do. No, oh, wait a, a second, Craig. You're wrong. Did I miss that? Yes. <laughs> yes. Because, yes. Yes, you, yes, you do. After the, oh. the amazing lecture, after the amazing oh, lecture, which, it. again, in typical Seagal style, actually hits on a lot of true points but he does it in such a heavy-handed convoluted and bizarre way that like the 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 message gets completely lost um so yes craig there is a a mid-credit scene with uh forest taft and masseur in a canoe and they see a raven flying above the water (laughs) so he does meet the chief in the water uh once again okay so then yeah i missed it you need to look that up on youtube or something (laughs) it's it's so good i didn't even catch the dialogue that you're taught that that's a callback for and i was just letting the credits roll and i it stopped for that scene and i was like i just died laughing (laughs) (laughs) so and that's and that's the end of the movie yeah and then uh yeah that that's it so yeah he that was the the callback was there craig you just obviously didn't watch all the credits <laughs> yeah no i was probably totally checked out by the end so I was like, <laughs> <I'm just done. laughs> it's understandable after you get a whole um greenpeace lecture which i'd rather listen to you know like an actual scientist or somebody else <laughs> i man i wouldn't <laughs> they, should be playing, they should be playing that lecture on loop at every school everywhere yeah i mean it's actually kind of graphic too like it shows yeah, no, the it, dead it, animal yeah it is it is i mean like it, i'm totally with kyle by the way greg like it is <laughs> it is it's it's up there it is like one of the one of the great movie speeches. It's right up there with Bill Pullman's president speech in Independence yes. Day, with <laughs> Rocky Balboa's like, "If I can change and you can change, then we all can change." And he brings down the fall of communism at the end of Rocky Four. It's right up there with those ones, man. It's oh, uh, yeah, really it's really a, it's an absolute belter. <laughs> and the sad part is how much of it is actually true and yeah it's a fair point yeah 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 like yeah no because i mean like he does it in this kind of bizarre sprawling way where he like it hits on kind of corporate polluters the fact that that regulators have this kind of light touch regulation that's kind of controlled by the corporations by the ignoring of alternative energies 
the 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 killing of of, of various animal species like he actually kind of hits on good points he just makes them in bad ways yeah that um protesters are are turned made to look like yes. me stuff like that yeah. yeah yeah that that's that's true that they're made to look like they're kind of crazy and, and and stuff like that which a lot of people you know like um have been throughout history have been in the tarred as like kind of like kind of nuts and and stuff like that you know it's uh yeah, uh, yeah so there you know there there is there is good there is good stuff in there it's just yeah it, it is the delivery of the message and the messenger is the <laughs> is, is the is the key uh, problem there. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, and that's that's it. That's on deadly ground. The the as we discussed at the start of the top of the show, the most Segal movie that's ever been made. And gold. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And um, yeah, that that's it. It was his only um, directorial effort, which is kind of strange because, like, he, you know, like once he went into direct a video, like he had even more kind of control over creative control as a producer and stuff over his career. And it's kind of odd that he never he never made one again, but he he never did. Shame. <laughs> you sounded really believable there, Craig. It's like, yeah, shame, shame, shame. He never did that again. <laughs> I'm totally, totally saddened that he never repeated his experience, and um, you know, created a longer sequel based on the the life and times of Jennings up until this movie. Yeah. Uh, so I suppose that all that leaves me to do is um, say goodbye for myself. And uh, you know, and cheerio from Craig. Thank you for having me again, and goodbye, everyone. And Kyle, great to be here as always. And you know, please take care of the environment. And the, you know, in the last couple of episodes, I've had a kind of uh, sign offline from from one of the movies. But um, yeah, just uh, basically remember rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all those things. It really helps with it, the algorithms. And I'm just going to concur with Kyle, you know, take care of the environment and um, go and listen to that speech uh, on YouTube because you're definitely going <laughs> to learn something.